Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you once again to my ongoing conversation with you about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest, Dr. Jonathan Jarbo, who is the president of the Baptist Foundation of California. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Orge. It's a pleasure to be here. We have the opportunity today to talk about church finance. I know a lot of you who listen to this podcast are not uh, financial experts. You don't have a background in accounting. You really don't know that much about investing. And yet, you've been charged with the responsibility of leading in your church and having to give direction about these very important issues. So today on the podcast, we want to talk about best practices for church finances and also some mistakes that people make in managing church finances and all, and then branching out into some other issues like investments for churches, endowments for churches, and things like that. Now, before we get into the questions and the conversation, let me introduce Jonathan to you just a little bit more. He's a unique person in that he served in pastoral leadership for about 31 years, 26 at one church, and 20 years at that church, Pathway Church here in Redlands, California, as the senior pastor. What makes him remarkable is that he did that coming from really a background in business and in business training. His undergraduate degree was in business, and then he has an MBA. And so he has this remarkable expertise and skill in the business area and in managing finance, and yet God used him throughout most of his adult life in pastoral ministry. I know that I've always been so impressed with you, Jonathan, that one time I actually tried to hire you at the seminary because I saw your business expertise and I thought how much mm-hmm. we could use that here at our school. It wasn't the right time, wasn't the right job, and God had something else for you, and that was the Baptist Foundation of right. California where you came in 2019 as president. And so thank you for being on the podcast today. Let's dive in. First question I have is, what do you see are some of the mistakes and missed opportunities that churches are making regarding their finances? Well, there are, there are several, but I'll identify just a couple. First of all, many churches just don't have adequate financials. Uh, they don't know where they stand financially, what they can afford. Uh, a, another mistake churches make is just they leave money on the table. Churches have money in the bank earning next to nothing when they could earn significant funds elsewhere. Yeah, let's talk about those two first of all. You said the first one, churches don't have good financials. Now, I know what you mean, you know what you mean, but when you say financials, you mean things like financial statements, like profit and loss statements, like account, like auditing reports, really good data that shows where they are financially. Yeah, and in the nonprofit world, instead of profit and loss, we call it income and expense. But I mean, we do lending our organization. So sometimes we get financials from churches or we don't get financials, and they're close to being on the back of a napkin. It's... It's remarkable how unsophisticated some church financial uh, statements are. And so this is sort of the first step, and that is if you're going to lead a church financially, you have to have good information. You have to be able to process that information with integrity, be able to report it to your church in a timely fashion, Mm -hmm. uh, be able to show it to outsiders like auditors or people that you might approach for loans and these kinds of uh, uh, financial transactions. You've got to have good financials. Now, it's sometimes hard to get those because churches, especially small churches, have a lot of volunteers working in this area. But what are some things that churches can do to get better financial reporting going on? Sure. Well, we've partnered with Water's Edge, which is the former Oklahoma Baptist Foundation, to provide 
accounting services for California Southern Baptist churches. And uh, through Water's Edge, churches can have adequate financials where they have online reports where a church treasurer or a member of a board could log in in real time, get a financial statement for their church uh, based at month, month end in real time. So you're talking about churches here in California, of course, and people listening to the podcast, maybe in other states. Almost every Baptist state convention has a foundation either associated with it or is partnered with a foundation in a different state. And so one of the best things that church leaders could do if they're having a hard time getting these kind of financial this, these kind of financials produced would be to go to their foundation or to go to their state convention or to go to some outside group like this and say, how can you help us? And very reasonably priced help is yes. available to produce these kind of financial records. Absolutely. Outsourcing it for churches has become more popular, and it's much more economical than most churches realize it is. Okay, another issue that uh, you sometimes raise when you talk about this is this issue of having reserves or a church makes a mistake of not having enough set aside. Now, some people say, well, a church shouldn't have reserves because we should take <laughs> the money that we get and, and spend it immediately and put it into, into circulation and, and meet the needs of people, and I certainly understand that pressure. But why do you think a church uh, needs some financial reserves or some financial savings in order to give it real strength and stability? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up from the time, uh, you know, the cradle roll. And I've heard this over and over and over. Churches should spend the money that comes in on ministry. That's why people give it. And I agree with that 100%. But it's also wise for a church to have reserves, three to six months worth of operating expenses. Uh, the pandemic helped prove that. It sure did. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, a lot of churches were faced with uh, a significant immediate shortfall in offerings. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of those churches, you know, rebounded, and that's yes. great. But what do you do when that unexpected shortfall comes? When the when when a natural disaster happens in your area, or when there's some uh, circumstance like a job, a, a company mm -hmm. closes, or a lot of jobs are lost, or something like that. This is just prudence and good organizational leadership to have some reserve set aside to bridge you through to a, a more stable situation. Sure. Three to six months of operating expenses will help a church in low giving months. Some churches have a lull in giving in the summer months. Having operating reserves allows you to continue student ministry, kids ministry, things that are important for the life of the church during the times when giving is low, and then it picks back up later and eventually evens out. One of the other interesting things about this for me is that uh, there's almost no one that operates their business without reserves, and there's no financial advisor that I am aware of that would tell a Christian family not to have anything in That's reserve. Right. You were told to have reserves in our families, we have reserves in our companies. Doesn't it also make sense then that we would have the same kind of financial uh, planning and frugality, really, about what goes on in the ministry of our churches? Absolutely. And I understand the sentiment that, you know, churches receive money to do ministry, and that is true, and they should. They should set an amount, and the church board should determine what that amount is, whether it's three months, six months, a dollar figure, and anything above that, then they can choose to use for ministry, invest in their building fund, or whatever their other priorities are. It sure takes a lot of pressure off of you as a leader, too. I know here at the seminary, when I first came to Gateway, we had very thin margins because we had a very small endowment. But today, 
we have a, a much larger endowment and a much larger resource base, which gives us a, a, a bit of, a, of, a, of an ease, if you will, day-to-day in operations because we're not threatened by uh, survival. And so right. it really takes a little bit of pressure off of you as a church leader if you can lead your church to have some of these kind of reserves. So for all these reasons, we would both advocate to you church leaders, be supportive of building some kind of reasonable reserve in your church, and then and then use the balance of everything else you have to do ministry. And I would really emphasize that because I'm thinking of one particular church in in, um, my past that I worked with. This church had a significant reserves, well more than three to six months. And when the pastor tried to lead the church to spend some of those to improve facilities, to, uh, to launch new ministries to young families, and to do things that really would have produced some change and transformation in the community, the resistance was, no, we need to save this money because we might need it someday. Well, as he was uh, so eloquently put it, someday has come. We have almost a year in reserve. That's more than we need to hold back. We need to spend some of this money and put it into ministry. So there is a balance here. But right now, we're advocating that churches move away from the balance of not having reserves and to the balance of having reasonable reserves that they can then do ministry from with a really sense of a, a sense of confidence and peace and ease. Well, let's shift gears and talk about another important area of church finance, and that's investing. Now, some people are very concerned about churches investing because of a number of different reasons. Uh, some people want to keep the money in, uh, only in a church uh, savings account or in a, a certificate of deposit or something like that because you know those things are federally insured if they're under $250,000, and we get that. But some churches have larger amounts of money than that that they're saving for building programs and other kinds of ministries or even for uh, long-term type uh, uh, ministry investments. And so, Jonathan, what are some things that churches should consider when developing an investment strategy? Yeah, well, those those questions are important. Um, I would recommend that a church use – a template. And what I mean by a template is recommend a church look at uh, an organization like Gateway Seminary or our university or uh, our state convention. Uh, go to their foundation, and their foundation can help them uh, craft an investment policy for the church. Gateway has one. Our college has one. The foundation has one. And most foundations can help a church craft an investment policy, which outlines the risk they're willing to take, the risk they're not willing to take. Uh, you mentioned something about uh, uh, FDIC insurance, and that's become uh, popular recently because of what's happened in our banking industry. Right. But there's a cost with that, and the cost with that is limited returns. Exactly. And so you, a church has to decide what their investment risk would be. Uh, certainly funds that are your three to six months funds, you want those secure. You don't want to invest those in something that's Uh, slightly more aggressive because you have the opportunity to lose that. But if your church has some other investments, some designated funds, maybe for the old organ fund or those kind of things that may not be used in the near future, those are the kind of funds the church should have an investment policy that allows them to invest it in a return, something that will give a better return. And that better return is usually uh, over time. And that's why you're saying these these uh, short-term savings or short-term reserves are not something that you invest for the long haul or in something that has very much risk associated with it. But if you're saving for a building and you feel like that building's coming in five years, that's the kind of money that yes. should be invested 
perhaps in a, a slightly riskier uh, investment pool, but certainly not a wildly uh, right. a speculative pool, but one that does accrue more earnings for the church in the long haul. Now, when it comes to investing, uh, another really important part of this that's in this policy you just mentioned is who gets to decide about these mm. things. And that's why an investment policy is really important because we you don't want uh, you know someone's brother-in-law who happens to be good at uh, investing in the stock market to be handling the church's money right. without oversight. So an investment policy not only says how much risk we'll tolerate, but it also says who's going to be responsible for doing this. And a lot of organizations like Gateway use what's called a third-party investment plan. Mm-hmm. In other words, Gateway Seminary doesn't invest any money directly. We give it to financial professionals and ask them to invest on our behalf, and we we recruit and vet those managers, Mm -hmm. and then we trust them to fulfill our policies and to manage our money effectively. We have about four different ones Mm -hmm. that we use, including you as the Baptist Foundation of California. Do you think a church would be wise to use that kind of approach where they let they vet and use some ministry or investment professionals, or just do it on their own? No, I think a church, especially the more resources they have available, they ought to use an investment manager, investment professional, like their local foundation, uh, like some other kind of nonprofit investment firm. Uh, The seminary uses several other kind of nonprofit investment firms. We'd also say to churches, you know, your three to six months of emergency fund, your three to six months of operating expenses. Don't put that in a long-term investment. Right. That's the kind of investment that should be at your local operating bank earning not a whole lot because you need that money, could need it very quickly. It's the building fund and the long-term things that you ought to go to a professional to help invest it for you. And then we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but some churches actually even have endowments where mm-hmm. people have given them money that, that they're never going to be able to use. They'll only be able to use the earnings. If you have an endowment in your church, that's the kind of investment that ought to be put into more of a long-term uh, yes. instrument. Yes, absolutely. And we we manage endowments, as you know, for the seminary and several of our partners. And some some of our California churches actually have endowments. In fact, we just helped a, ch- helped a church recently uh, liquidate an estate that provided about $100,000 more into that particular church's endowment. That's fantastic. Well, we're still talking about investments here, and I want to finish on one more idea before we go on and talk more about endowments. But in the investment area, there's also a serious question about investing according to your faith convictions Mm -hmm. or investing according to your values. Uh, Is it possible for uh, a seminary or a church to determine the kinds of values that it wants expressed in its investments and to require their investment managers to invest in only those kinds of companies or organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want a fixed fund, the foundation offers a fund that just goes to help other churches with property expansion or purchases. Uh, We also have some managers that work for us that invest in only companies that have similar values with us. They don't uh, invest in, uh, for instance, a- alcohol sales and distribution right, or, or com- pornography abortion, or some other things. Alcohol, yes. uh, pornography, mm-hmm. things that are clearly outside our value That's system. Right. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but aren't some companies sort of uh, in, uh, you know, enmeshed in these things or, or have some small part? Yes, they do. And that's why investment managers actually produce reports to show you what percentage right. of a company is devoted to certain activities and what percentage of your investment is in certain companies. 
And and this value-based investing is is possible. Mm-hmm. It's fairly straightforward, mm-hmm. and it's not difficult to do if a church wants to go that direction, and they can talk to you or to any real investment manager who, who understands nonprofit investing and be able to yeah. know how to do that. And there are two sides of that. One is eliminating quote, sin stocks or investments in those kinds of uh, investments. But the positive side of that mm-hmm. is investing in companies that that are doing things that help humans flourish, small business loans in third world countries, uh, investing in, in, in other kinds of investments that are faith-based and help the kingdom. Exactly. And one of the big ones you've already mentioned is is investing in church loan funds and in ways to help churches. I I have been invested uh, in a small way in church loan funds for probably 20 years at least and uh, see it as a viable way of investing some of my resources to do something positive with those investments. Now, let's swing back around and talk about endowments just a little bit more. First of all, how is an endowment created? Where, where, does, where do these things come from? Well, an endowment comes from funds that, that are permanently restricted for a specific purpose. And they're no, normally given by a donor or they come through some kind of a state gift or something yes, like that. A donor uh, or someone passes away and leaves in their estate plan that they want to provide $200,000 to church XYZ in order to do kids ministry. Right. And that creates an endowment with those funds and the principal can never be used, but the, but the, the earnings mm-hmm. are then used annually through what's called a spending policy. And the earnings are then given to the organization annually or quarterly, really until Jesus returns to support that particular cause. That's fantastic. And for example, here at Gateway, we have a uh, a, a, a spending policy of our endowment that is three, it's, it's a 5% of a three-year rolling average of yes. the value of the endowment. We take that value snapshot at the end of each quarter of the year. We have 12 of those and we average those and that gives us the, the baseline. And then we take 5% of that number and we budget that for the following year. That gives us a steady stream of money that we know we can depend on and that we can budget and that we can uh, use. And because we use this uh, 12-quarter rolling three-year average and Mm -hmm. we use only a 5% distribution, uh, usually, now right now we're in a a bit of a downtime, but that's only coming after several years of really – up times and good times. And so when you're distributing this kind of way, whether you're in good times or bad times, you're still having a steady stream of flow from an endowment. Because in the good times, you don't take more than 5%. In the bad times, you still keep taking 5 But the good times have offset the bad times. Right. And the, if you want to say it this way, the average over the long life of the endowment is that it just produces a steady stream of income. Correct. Yeah, that's great. Now, uh, is it is it good for a church to have an endowment or or is there any negative that's possibly associated with a church being endowed? Sure. I would encourage churches to pursue endowments through estate planning and those types of efforts. Uh, the downside of it could possibly be, I don't know any church like this, but if a church, uh, say a church got a $30 million gift that became an endowment, the possibility would be for church members to go, hey, 5% of $30 million bucks, that's a lot of money. A church doesn't need my money anymore. Right. And that's a small risk that mm-hmm. some churches might face. I have seen, not in terms of an endowment, but I've actually seen more difficulty come to churches that had some kind of revenue or income-producing business associated with them. For example, I first encountered this uh, when I was in Texas years ago. 
when a church had an oil well. Mm-hmm. They drilled on their own property. They started making significant resources, and their offerings went down. Mm-hmm. And that church had to take a giant step back and say, we're going to make a policy that all the money from the oil well is money we give away. And so they gave that money away to missions and other activities and other projects, and giving resumed because people understood the oil well doesn't replace the stewardship responsibility we have as a church. I've also seen this a couple of other times where churches had, for example, a senior adult facility or some kind of care facility or a school, and those became the financial engines that actually drove the operation. And while it's not wrong for there to be some financial contribution from these things, you have to be careful because God designed his church to be funded by the voluntary gifts of its members, uh, not by these kind of other outside sources. And so there is some danger or risk to endowment or to these outside sources that we have to guard against. But that doesn't mean you can't find a way to plan carefully and still use endowment for the benefit uh, of of a local church. Yeah, Jeff, I would agree with that and just caution any pastor. You know, it's very expensive to do business, especially in our state. And pastors are always looking for another source of income. And my caution would always be, you don't want a source of income to replace the opportunity for people to give to God's work, because that really is the biblical way the church should be funded. So let's talk a little bit more about that, the stewardship responsibility we have in churches. We've just come through COVID, and one of the things I saw happen there was an immediate dip in financial support, but then really a rebound as churches progressed on through COVID and kept moving forward in ministry. So coming out of the COVID era, what are some of the trends or changes you see with church financial operations? One of the, I would call a great trend, pre-COVID, the average church in our state, Southern Baptist Church, was receiving less than 20% of their income outside of the offering plate on Sunday morning. In other words, online or coming through bill pay in the mail. Uh, I've talked to several churches. I called one yesterday just to ask, and uh, most churches now are receiving more than 80% of their income outside of their Sunday morning offering. In fact, a lot of churches aren't even passing offering plates these days. I understand that. And I've talked about this on the podcast. I've actually done a podcast on reclaiming the offering. And Mm -hmm. while I am absolutely for this kind of giving, I've given either by check or electronically for at least a decade or more, long before COVID. So I I embrace it. But at the same time, the offering is still a significant moment in the service uh, and in the worship of God where we do highlight that we're all giving by some means. You know, one of the good things about electronic giving is people set it and sometimes just sort of forget it. And it's consistent. And it becomes consistent, and it becomes actually more of a stewardship commitment to say, I'm committing this percentage of my income no matter what, it's going to come out first. And so it's actually a good thing, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that a good trend that's come out of COVID. You make a great point. Passing the offering plate, though, I think is valuable for those that haven't made that commitment yet. Right. Because it's just another reminder of what God expects of us in terms of giving as, as an act of worship. Now, as you think about some of the other changes that you may have seen recently or some of the best practices you're observing in churches, uh, what are some of those you're observing? What are some of the best stewardship practices that pastors are using and churches are using right now? Well, I, pastor, a pastor asked me recently, hey, um, who, who's supposed to get, do the giving education in our church? A senior pastor asked me yeah. that. My response was, 
You are. That's right. It's the senior pastor's responsibility. And, and then the follow-up question was, well, should I preach two weeks or four weeks? And my response uh, uh, came from uh, Larry Osborne. He's a pastor down here in Oceanside, and he has a book which he talks about that. And I said, use the drip method. Talk about giving on a regular basis. You can do a series on giving if you want, but look for opportunity in the text that you preach week in and week out to, to offer a sentence or a paragraph about the importance of giving and how it's an opportunity for worship and drip that in as a part of your vision casting for the mm, church. That's so good. You know, the Bible has so much to say about money, mm-hmm. finance, and giving that it shouldn't be difficult to bring it into our messages if we're preaching through the scriptures and using what the scriptures say as the foundation That's right. you know, for our messages. Now, another part of this best practice is this drip method, as you've said, occasionally and consistently making a mention of this. You also, though, have seen and have advocated some vision-casting preaching or some things that do challenge people to understand how their money is connected to the ministry and the future of the church. How do you see that being done? Well, I think that's incredibly important. Uh, People don't give to need. If you stand up Mm -hmm. on Sunday and say, hey, uh, we need a thousand extra dollars for the utility bill in the summer, that's not going to motivate people. But when the pastor stands up and talks about student ministry, kids ministries, talks about a particular ministry that's had an impact for the kingdom and how people have given and through the budget that ministry has been funded, that motivates people when you cast vision. It may not even necessarily be about resource, but people want to give to vision and to success and kingdom work. Man, that's so true. So true. Well, let's talk about another really important part of stewardship in churches and in financial management in churches. And this is really at the core of what you do every day at the Baptist Foundation of California, and that is uh, legacy giving through estate planning. Now, if you're listening to the podcast and you're younger, you might think, well, I can turn this off now because I don't have any money in the first place. Well, stay with us just for a minute because estate planning is about more than your money. If you have small children, for mm-hmm. example, it's about determining who's going to care for your children if the unthinkable were to happen and you and your spouse were both killed uh, simultaneously. Who cares for your children is a part of estate planning. And that's why I say that every young couple, no matter if they have any money or not, needs an estate plan because it solves that significant issue. And you might think, well, I don't really need to work that out because uh, you know my mom and dad will just step in. Well, no, they won't. The state where you live, a judge you've never met, will make the decision on who raises your children if your estate plan doesn't give specific instructions about how that's going to be done. So let that chill your bones just a bit and then think about whether or not you need estate planning. But beyond even the the, the care for your children, estate planning strikes at uh, caring for other resources or assets that you may have or that you may have coming in the future. Like, for example, you don't know if you're going to be able to buy a home and that home may appreciate in value. You don't know if you may inherit something, a piece of property or something that comes to you by way of inheritance that you never imagined. There's all kinds of ways that your estate's going to change over time. And so a good time to get that in place is when it's small. And then as it grows, you've already got the plan in place to manage it. But one of the most important parts of this, uh, Jonathan, is planning for what we do with our money after we die. 
And there's a whole lot of options about that. And you've just got a couple minutes here, and I, I know you can't do it all, but could you just give us two or three suggestions or ideas about the kinds of things people can do? Because just dying and leaving all your money to your kids, that, that's not always wise, and it's not the only way to go about creating an estate plan. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't recommend that. In fact, uh, you, you recently did a podcast on generosity where you talked about this. Um, there is a way through proper estate planning to provide for your family, bless your family, and the kingdom simultaneously. Exactly. Some people would call it the give it give your state twice. There's several options of that. Where you you could provide for your family over a 15 or 20 year period after your death. Take your entire estate. Let's just throw out a number. Your estate's two hundred thousand dollars. That's obviously very low in California. Your estate's two hundred thousand dollars. Over fifteen years, two hundred thousand dollars is paid out to your heirs. At the end of that 15 years, there's still $200,000 left because we're using the interest for those 15 or 20 years. At the end of that time frame, then your state is given to the charity or charities of your choice, your local church, the seminary, the university, to bless kingdom work. So you take care of your family and at the same time, bless the kingdom. And that's one model of what this could look like. But a lot of people that have never developed an estate plan think, well, there's like a there's like a certain legal way that's prescribed that I have to do that. But that's really not the case. There are definitely laws that determine how these things have mm-hmm. to be put into place. And that's why you have attorneys that you work with and all of that. But there's a huge amount of variety in what an estate plan looks like. I remember when I was creating the one I'm currently using, the first question that I was asked by, the, by, by your team was, what are you trying to accomplish? What, what do you want to do after you're gone? And it was like, well, okay, here's what I want to accomplish. And well, let us give you some ways that you can do that. And we'll give you some options of what that looks like. And like you just mentioned, uh, my wife and I have that kind of plan where we're giving it twice, where we give a full estate, uh, I mean, a full inheritance to our children. And then the seminary will be blessed with a full inheritance of our estate. The seminary just received one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple in California, just I'll call them everyday uh Baptists, just working class people, they amassed a little money. They put it into a, an estate, a, 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 a trust fund when they died in, in their estate. And uh, it paid out caring for their son. Mm-hmm. And then he, when he passed away, the estate came to us. The fund came to us as a seminary. That's the kind of thing you're talking about doing, and anyone can do that. And you don't have to leave the money to the seminary, although that's a fabulous idea. You can leave the money to, the, to your church, mm-hmm. to the International Mission Board, to the North right. American Mission Board, to any college, university, to any ministry that's impacted you positively. It can all do that through estate planning. Well, my guest today on the podcast has been Dr. Jonathan Jarbo, who's the president of the Baptist Foundation of California. I can't say enough positive things about this foundation and about their leadership. I see their professionalism. I see their competency. I see the impact that they're making, and I want to be a part of who they are and what they're doing. But this necessarily wasn't a commercial today, but I hope it will become one. If you need help, just reach out through their website to the Baptist Foundation of California, get in touch with them, and let them help you with either church finance, church finance challenges, church financial statements and church financial documents, investing, endowment management, uh, building loans, all these kinds of things. They're here to help you as you try to manage the finances of the congregation that you're leading. Listen, money matters, and it can be really challenging for ministry leaders who don't always have all the background and training we need when we come to this important part of our work. But there are people out there who'll help you. Reach out, get the help you need. 
Do a good job with the finances under your stewardship as you lead on. <laughs>